the button for her mic. Make sure it works. It's the lower. There it oh, is. That works loud and clear. Yeah. Hey. Sound man in training. Glory. You can turn me down a touch, though. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everybody glad to be here? Yes, Hallelujah. Would you turn with me? Um, we're going to go to James today. James chapter 1. Last week, we looked at a verse... Uh, here in James chapter 1. And it's verse 21. It says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Everybody remember that verse from last week? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Or we could say it this way, which is able to help you think right. <laughs> the implanted word, the word of God, changes our thinking. So we yes. stop thinking like the world thinks. We stop thinking the way our flesh wants us to think. And we start thinking the way God wants us to think. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what the word is designed to do, to help transform our thinking. And uh, James says it this way, save your soul. <laughs> save your soul. I mean... Uh, your spirit man got born again the day you received Jesus as your Lord, but your mind needs some help. My mind, my mind needs help. Glory to God. And we need, we need help all the time, not just, you know, the first year we're saved or the first, you know, couple years. We're constantly learning more from the word, receiving more from the word. We're constantly looking at the same verses over and over again because there's more to, uh, there's more to see. There's more training for our minds to think right. But uh, what we focused on last week was that phrase, receive with meekness. Or you could say, receive with humility uh, the word. Um, We've been, we've been ministering in the past weeks of, of the importance of the word. The, wor the word is, is everything to the believer, ought to be, in that uh, it, it teaches us who we are, it teaches us how to live, it teaches us what to think, it teaches us how to act, how to give, how to uh, talk to our Father. There's so much in here, but we as believers won't receive any more than unbelievers if we don't come to the word in a certain posture. In other words, we, we can think, oh, well, we've already heard that. I know that. And uh, that's, that's not a posture that's going to receive from God. A and God gives us a clue here of what, what posture we are to be coming in. And I say posture for a reason. Um, uh, it says we are to receive with meekness. So we began uh, talking about this subject last week, this subject of of receiving with meekness, or we could say with humility. We recognize that word humility uh, a little bit more than we use the word meek in, in today's society. But, uh, well, actually, 
I don't know too many people that use the word humility, honestly, in today's society. But um, we ought to know these words, humility and weakness. Receive with humility the implanted word. Now that word humility, it, it means to be made low or brought low. And a lot of times, even in the King James, when you see uh, uh, other translations say humility or meekness, a lot of times they, the King James will say lowliness of heart. Yeah, lowliness. lowliness of heart. What does that mean? It's a position. It's a posture. Does that make sense? Uh, humility is a position to be brought low. And last week, anyone remember the... Uh, the, the passage we looked at was the passage of the Syrophoenician woman. Yes. The woman who came to Jesus whose daughter was grievously vexed with a devil. Yes. Her daughter was demon-possessed. And she came to Jesus saying, you know, oh, son of David, you know, have mercy on me. And she started spewing out all these religious terms that she had heard other Jewish people use. The only problem was she wasn't Jewish, right? She wasn't part of the children of God of that, of that day. Matter of fact, she was uh, not just a foreigner, but a foreigner uh, who worshipped devils, you know? Um, she, she knew nothing of the God of Israel. And yet she was trying to just kind of slip in, take what she needed, get back out and go live like she always lived. And Jesus wasn't going to have it, was he? No. He, he was not going to have it. And, and what we saw in that passage last week is that he did not, uh, he wasn't what the world would say. He wasn't necessarily um, sweet to her. He wasn't ooey-gooey. He wasn't all loving. He didn't grab her hand and say, oh, sweetheart, let's talk about who God is. He did not do that. Matter of fact, the Bible says he, at first, he ignored her. He completely ignored her. Why? Because the position she was coming to him in was not a position in which she could receive from him. And so he was, through his actions, he was helping her to recognize I'm in the wrong spot. I'm in the wrong position. I'm coming at him as one of his equals when I'm not. And so through that series of, uh, well, through him ignoring her, through him basically insulting her, uh, uh, bringing her to realize Oh, uh, I, I need to be in a different position. Remember, after he ignored her, then she, she said, I've got to do something different. So she dropped to her knees. Yeah. And she said, Lord, have mercy on me. I need help. Mm-hmm. Well, she, she was learning this, this thing about coming lower. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this, this, this position she had to take in order to receive from God, that was being, humility is being brought low. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a subject, quite honestly, that most people don't want to hear about, including myself. 
<laughs> Why? Because all of us have what we call flesh and a, a mind that does not like to think of itself as anything but great. <laughs> you know, we all like to think we're doing good, all is well, and everything. You know, we don't like to think of this, this idea of um, maybe there's things I need to t work on. Maybe there's things I'm not good at. Maybe there's things I need to correct. And the, the flesh never likes that. And so we, I, I actually tried to uh, avoid preaching this again this week, this subject, because, um, because it's, not, it's not always pleasant to hear. But if we understand the idea behind humility and the reason for it, we're all going to be running to the throne on our, on our face, you know, uh, saying, Lord, none of me, all of you. And, and that's exactly the position humility takes. It's a lowering of you, your own personality, your own desires, your own flesh, your own wants, your own needs. It's a lowering of that so that God can fill. And then all of a sudden you, you the God in you is in a position to live and operate the way he wants you to live and operate. And so I liken it very much to, I, you know, in the summertime, I like to make iced tea. I make a big picture of iced tea, and I keep it in my fridge pretty much from June through September, you know, or uh, I have iced tea in the fridge. But uh, that iced tea doesn't always stay full. Every time I pour some out, the pitcher goes down, right? And, and for this subject of humility, if you think of it as that iced tea, we need to be pouring our own self out of us. Getting rid of our wants, our desires, our thoughts, lowering that so that God can fill it with himself. The more you pour out, and this is something that you don't just learn in one instance. Why? Because we all have flesh, and our flesh has something <laughs> called pride. Ah, and so we had to say the word. Um, from my understanding, from basically every avenue I've looked at on social media or in any store I've walked in, it is Pride Month in the world, right? There's only one problem with Pride Month, and that is God opposes, resists the proud. <laughs> Can we turn to James 4? <laughs> I understand the reasoning why they call it that, but it still doesn't make it godly at all. Uh, we are never to be in pride <laughs> about anything, about our person or you know, who we are or anything. The only thing that's great about us is God in us. <laughs> it's God in us. 
And we need to change our thinking on these things so that we can receive all that God wants for us to receive. James chapter 4 and verse 7, well, verse 6, excuse me, it says, For he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is grace? We've given that definition many times here. Grace is God's ability, God's power, right? It's all that God has for us that we need to move and operate through him. God gives grace to the humble. Humble, humility, it's not a bad word. It's a God word. Hallelujah. So we could say it this way, God gives grace to those who have been lowered of themselves, who have emptied themselves. Remember the iced tea. We got to empty the pitcher so that it can be filled with something else. If I want to put lemonade in my iced tea pitcher, I've got to empty the iced tea, get rid of that so I can fill it with a different drink. And so God, the Bible says, James 4, 6 says, God opposes, other translations say resists the proud. Now, uh, in any type of sports team, football, basketball, right, you have, you have two sides, two teams playing against each other, right? You, you have one team trying to move forward and you have another tra- team defending or resisting or opposing that team from moving forward, right. right? I don't know about you, but I want God on my team. Yes. Yeah. I do not want him on the opposing side, yeah. right? Can you imagine... Uh, there, there's a, a commercial, I don't even know, it's probably one of those Geico commercials, those silly ones, where the little girl is choosing par- for the basketball team, and um, Shaquille O'Neal, or one of the guys, Charles, Charles Barkley, the really, really tall guy, is on one of the, you know, one of the kids to be chosen from, and she chooses him first. Why? He's giant. Everyone else is eight years old, you know? It's like, uh, it's a no-brainer, right? I'm going to choose the big guy. You want the big guy on your team, yes. right? Why? Because if he's on the other team, you go to throw the ball, what's he just going to do? Boink. Listen, when you are trying to get forward in life with your own desires, your own thoughts, your own ways, I'm just going to do this, oh, God's just going to go, boink. It's going to be knocked down. Why? Because there is a resistance. The Bible tells us that pride comes before a fall. Yeah. Yes. And so we want to recognize pride sneaks in. Why? Because it's, it's kind of attached to our flesh. It's, it's just part of our makeup in the flesh. Uh, pride's been around a long, long time. Yes. Before man was created. There, there was pride, uh, and we, we won't get into all that, but Satan was the first one <laughs> to show signs of pride a- in heaven. Yeah. He started saying, his name was Lucifer, and he started saying, oh, I'm so great. I'm so beautiful. You know how long that lasted in heaven? 
Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. It lasted as long as lightning lasts. And he was gone, expelled. Why? God will not, he resists, he opposes pride. He will not have it in heaven. He will not have it in his children. No, the, he, he, cannot, he cannot coexist with that character trait, right? It doesn't work. And so God opposes the proud, but, but, but he gives his power, his ability, all that he is. He gives more grace to those who have lowered themselves of their, their own. Right? And so although this subject isn't like the most exciting subject, it is one of the best subjects to make sure we are lined up with. Because with meekness, we receive the word. If there's, if there's, if there's pride in there, if, there's, if we are thinking we know it all, we've got this, we can do it all, God does not have an avenue in. And the word cannot do what it needs to do to help us move forward. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I, I don't know about you. I am interested in this because God's interested in this. I am interested in this because I'm interested in the grace. <laughs> I'm interested in God's ability. I'm interested in doing things the way he wants me to do it because with him, we know that we'll succeed. We'll prosper. We'll, you know, we'll abound. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the other side of things. So, um, if we could, let's look at some of the things that the Bible shows us about ourselves. Oh, this is fun. It's good, good times today. Let's look in John 15, verse 5. John 15, verse 5. And quite honestly, all uh, we're doing today is going through some of the scriptures that my husband laid out in his book on humility. <laughs> So if you uh, want to learn more about this, or I encourage you actually, if, if you have this book at home, if you don't, you can download it. It's called The Dogs Get the Crumbs, A Study in Humility. But um, you want to read through this. Uh, it's, it's a book that we should read through once in a while. Yes. You know, pick back up, read some chapters of it. Why? Because we always want to be doing a heart check. Yes. We always want to make sure that we're, hmm, <laughs> as low of our own self as we can be. So verse John 15, 5, it says this. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Oh, isn't that exciting? So, um, what do we know about ourselves without Jesus? We can do nothing. nothing. Amy can do nothing. That's not a verse we would, you know, that's not a phrase we'd often have you meditate on and confess. <laughs> I can do nothing. But we understand what Jesus is saying. If you disconnect and try to do this on your own, this is your result. 
you're going to accomplish nothing. That does not mean to say that you might actually get some stuff done. There's a lot of people that do, do things on their own, right? They start businesses. They, they move up the ranks in, in society. They might gain some wealth. They might, they might have some influence in a town. But according to Jesus, if it's not connected to him, it amounts to nothing. And whether we like it or not, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a count of the fruit that we bore here on earth. And I'll tell you what, it's fruit that was fruit that came from doing things in him. And part of uh, this study of humility is realizing who you are by yourself and who you are with Jesus on the inside of you. Because they're completely different. They're completely different. And Jesus says this here, whoever abides in me and on him, he bears fruit. But apart from me, if you sever from him and start to go off on your own and just try to do it on your own, you will accomplish, according to Jesus, nothing. You can do nothing. But let's look at the flip side of that, Philippians 4. We know this verse, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. You know, some people read the scripture and say, this doesn't make sense. He's contradicting. These verses contradict. No, no, no. Understand. He's talking about who you are in you by yourself or who you are with him on the inside of you. So I, I, Amy, can do all things through... Him, through Christ, through Christ, who strengthens me. So apart from him, I can do nothing. nothing. But (laughs) through him, I can do all things. things. We get it? We get the difference. I know we've looked at these verses before, but, you know, just take her in reverse Let's look at them again like we've never seen them because this helps us think right. It helps us from getting up in the morning saying, bless God, I'm just going to go do what I know. You might know what your future holds or there's some things that even God stirred you to do in your future. It does not mean you get up today and just go for it. Does that make sense? In other words, in your own flesh, you just get up and say, bless God, I'm just going to start that. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to do it. No, 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 no. It has to be through him. In other words, there might be a time where he just wants you to focus on learning about him, learning to be guided by him, learning to be, you know, follow his spirit, and there's progression in these things. And, and when the time is right, he'll say, now, step into that. Go after that business. Go after that job. Go after, you know, there, there's different levels and, and things for us to do, but we have to do it through him. Mm-hmm. In him. I can do all things. Everybody say all things. Oh, that's exciting. I can do all things through him. Through him. Through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. What about 1 Corinthians 8 verse 2? 
1 Corinthians 8, verse 2. Well, this one's a good one. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, that'll knock some pride down, won't it? If anyone imagines that he, oh, I got that. I know that. I can do that. I don't need God's help for that. I know this. Are you kidding me? I need God's help with everything. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. The, the King James says he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Mm -hmm. he, he knows nothing. Everybody say, I know nothing. Without God, guys, we know nothing. And uh, one of the hardest parts when, I, when the Spirit of God was dealing with me to come to him and, and get saved, one of the hardest parts was admitting that I don't know what I thought I knew. I kept saying, I am a Christian. I know God. I already know this. I already know this. I know. I know. I, I mean, how many times did that come out of my mouth when I was talking to different friends? And why did I kept saying that? Because my pride, my flesh, didn't want to admit that there was more that I didn't know yet. And pride will keep you out. Yes. Pride will keep you out. Do you hear me? Pride will keep you out of what God has for you. Flesh will say, uh, you know, I like God and, and I like the things of God, but I, I just, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to tithe because uh, I know I don't need to do that. You know, or whatever it is that, that, you know, pride will come up to something in the scriptures and say, no, that part's not for me. The problem is God opposes resist the proud the any pride that that shows up in our lives there's a resistance there and he can't work in that area in our lives so i had to get to the point before i got saved where i realized i had to say lord this i don't understand this but i don't know what i thought i knew and i need you to help me Amen. understand it. Yeah. What was that? I was pouring out the iced tea <laughs> so I could fill it with something else. Mm -hmm. right. I was pouring out the old me so I could let God fill me. Mm -hmm. That's right. If any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Mm. But 1 John chapter 2 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. 1 John 2, 20 says, But you, everybody say me, <laughs> I have been anointed by the Holy One, and I have all knowledge. 
wait a second, that's different than the verse we just read. Yeah. <laughs> that's different, isn't it? Because the other one said, I know nothing. And this says, I have all knowledge. What's the difference? The Holy One. <laughs> the Holy One is the difference. The Lord is the difference. Listen, humility is by no means where we leave here and say, we're just worms, we're just dust, because God did not make us to be dust. We are actually pouring out our old self, our flesh, and our pride so that we can have the anointed one, the holy one, fill us so full that we have all knowledge. Glory to God. We have all that we need to know living on the inside of us. And, and whenever we come up to a situation where we don't know, yeah. we can say, wait a minute, the greater one lives on the inside of me. And he has all knowledge. Yes. Therefore, everything I need to know is already on the inside of me. And I can stand there and say, Holy Ghost, in myself, I don't know what to do here. But you know. You know all things. Glory to God. And so I'm asking you to show me. <laughs> Help me. Glory to God. What is that? Humility will acknowledge in, in me, Amy, I don't get this. I can't do this. I can't go there. I can't handle this. But I'm ad admitting in me, I'm nothing. But with you, I've got everything. And so when something great happens in your life, and people all say, wow, that's amazing. You can look back and say, yes, it's amazing because it's God. It wasn't me. Right? And it's keeping that perspective correct. None of me, all of him. Listen, there were men uh, that did great things for God in ages past. You know, in past decades, in past centuries. Those men, if you read after some of the things that they preached and some of the stuff they put in their diaries, they didn't have half the amount of revelation that we do today. Right. Meaning they didn't understand the word at, uh, to the level that we have received and been taught today. Yeah. They didn't see things about faith and about healing and about abundance and prosperity. They just didn't see that in the word the way we do now or the way we've been taught. And yet... They accomplished massive things for God. They reached people in ways that I haven't reached yet. And the single most distinguishing marker on all of those men or women that you study is the subject of humility. They were humble before God. They were extremely aware that on their own they couldn't accomplish anything but with him filling their vessel they could make an effect for the kingdom and they did they did 
And so it's not always people's doctrine we follow, but we can look at their, the characteristics of their life and the reasons. And there were other men that did great things. And then as they got older, into their 50s, their 60s, and some in their 70s, they got off in the things of God. And they died young, meaning they died in their 50s. They died in their 60s. Why was that? If you study those accounts of those lives, you can see where pride snuck in. All of a sudden they realize, hey, I'm doing great things for God. Look at me. I must be something special. And people that, that worked for them or that followed them would come and say, you must be Elijah. You're amazing. You know, they, they, they would start giving them great titles and, and, and venerate the man instead of the God in the man. And it changed their thinking. And they started to think, just like Lucifer did in heaven, hey, I'm pretty good looking. I'm pretty good at what I do. This is pretty amazing. And bam, lightning struck and he was flat to the earth. And so the reason I say this is a subject we need to pick up once in a while and just do a self-evaluation of is because even great men of God in the past have just allowed enough pride back in to their thinking that it caused great hardship for them, their families, and those that followed them. We're never exempt from making sure we stay in humility. We always need to make sure that we are uh, doing a self-evaluation of, of, what, of what we are versus what he is. Does that, does that make sense? So I know our, our time's getting away from us, but can we look at just one passage um, in the Old Testament? Second, uh, let me see, Second Kings. Let me find it here real quick. Second Kings, um, chapter 22, I was actually reading this uh, this week, and it just so struck me. This is about a king named Josiah in Jerusalem, Second Kings 22, and uh, he became king when he was eight years old, when he was eight years old, and it says when he was 18, it's, it's always amazing to read what, um, what the word says about these different kings. But it says that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, walked in all the ways of David his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And in, in verse 3, it says in the 18th year of King Josiah, um, he started making some decrees. He talked to the priest, and he said, he said um, I want you to go get all the money that's in the temple, and I want you to start fixing things up, because everything was in dis disarray, disrepair. And he said, I, I want you to start taking care of the things of God. And so the priest, the high priest there, he does do that. He gets the money. He starts cleaning things up. And lo and behold, they find, uh, they find the word of God, the book of the law. Now, find is what the, they find it, meaning no one knew where it was. No one had looked at it in a while. That's how far the people had turned from the things of God. So in verse 8, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. 
and he's surprised at this. Uh, that's where the book of the law is supposed to be, in the house of the Lord. We're supposed to be using it every day, right? These words shall not depart from your eyes. <laughs> you should meditate on, on them day and night. You know, this is what, what uh, Moses and, and Joshua were telling people to do. And yet, this is how far we've come. I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it onto the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And then he kind of slips us in. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, and Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now look at this, verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and this um, Hiakim, the son of Shapham, and all those other people, uh, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And we won't read all of this for time's sake, but... Basically, I just wanted us to see King Josiah here. They find this book. They come and read the word of the Lord to Josiah. Immediately, he takes a posture of humility, which is what they meant when he tore his clothes. That was, that was a sign for the Jewish people of grief, of great mourning, of great distress. He tore his clothes, and he said, Oh, God, if this is your word, we've gone far from it. Yeah. And he, he gathers all the people to come and hear the word of the Lord. And he says, guys, there's supposed to be feasts. There's supposed to be festivals. We're supposed to, be, we're, we're supposed to celebrate the Passover. And it says he instituted back into, his, uh, into Jerusalem all the rules and decrees from the word. And it says that year they had a Passover like no other that they had ever had or celebrated. Why? Humility. Humility. He saw something that God had for them that they just didn't even know about. And immediately he said, Father, we're sorry. We're going to change. We're going to do what's right. All the people are going to do what's right. Here we go. We're going to go wholehearted. That is receiving the word with meekness. Yes. <laughs> That's receiving the word with meekness. As soon as we see something that, that uh, we didn't see before. Oh, come on now. As soon as we see something that we didn't see before in the word, we may have read that verse 30 times before, 100 times before. But if, I, I mean, if you're reading John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave yes. Amen. his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him. How, you know, if, whatever verse it is, if you're reading it and you see something you never saw before, that's opportunity for to receive something with meekness and say, Lord, I, I didn't see that before. Thank you. I received that. I, I'm going to make it. If there's a change involved, I'm going to make that change. I'm going to do it the way you help me. Because on my own, I can't do that. I can do nothing on my own. But with you, I can do all things. Because you strengthen me and you help me. 
Do you see that the attitude in which we receive the word has everything to do with how God can manifest that word in our life? That, that Syrophoenician woman was brought so low that she said, Lord, if you call me a dog, I'm going to say woof. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, what about the crumbs? Yeah. And he, we didn't even get to read that last week, but Jesus turned around and said, I've not found such great faith. Woman, great is your faith. He called her humility, great faith. Why? Because great faith is just simply great believing in who God is and all he has and understanding. Without him, nothing. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Serving God is so exciting, you guys. It's so exciting because it means it's none of you and all of him. Hallelujah. If we're doing this right, it's none of us and all of him. If we're, if we're doing this right, when, when, when you're able to give big checks into the offering or sow into somebody's life, it's none of you and all of him. Oh, glory to God. And it's so exciting. It's so exciting. When you lay hands on the sick and they recover, it's none of you and all of him. Glory to God. Working through an empty vessel. A vessel that's been emptied of self and filled with God. Hallelujah. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We receive it today. We thank you for it today. Lord, show us, teach us, help us to more understand and and position ourselves to receive all you have. We thank you, Father, that uh, you do resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We're grateful for it today. We're thankful for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.